And we're back. A few week absence. Not well. We weren't absent. We were still on the sh- on the on on the air. Recorded the last two episodes were recorded before I left for Hawaii. Got back from Hawaii on Monday night. So now we're back for the Justin the Justin Spaulding show episode sixteen zero one six episode sixteen. We have a couple questions today. Yo, good over there. I don't know. We can change that later, right? Yeah. So, always some type of uh, technical difficulties. But yeah, the vacation, the Hawaii trip was good. I don't know if I'm looking tan or not. People are saying I'm looking tan. I'm like, I'm the yeah. whitest. Yeah, Marine says I'm right. looking tan. I'm like, I, well, one day when I was in Hawaii, I thought I was looking tan. Then I put my arm up next to my wife, and I was like, well, I'm not tan. I'm zero tan. I'm so pasty. I'm like the pastiest person at the pool always. Pastiest person at the pool. PPP. Let's jump into the questions right away. I'm ready to rock and roll. And we're running a little bit behind, so. All right, jumping into the questions. Location and how do you plan to staff? Um, You know, the whole COVID thing happened and people started working from home. They were like, they loved it. And I'm like, just give it a little bit of time because before we got an office, so in like till 2016, I would be at my apartment and there would there'd be like three or four days in a row where I wouldn't leave because I was working from my apartment office and that gets to just be a drag, that's for sure. Um, and so I finally got to the point where I'm like, all right, I was just, I was going crazy. I'm like, all right, I gotta get out of here. We gotta get an actual office. Uh, so for a little while, I borrowed a little bit of office space, just like one room, would work out of there. Um, and then we added we added Ava and we, we were both working on that one room. Um, I think we were there maybe for like six, seven months, something like that. Um, it was actually at one of the, the veterinary practices. We just took literally an office in the back, in the back corner. and had like two little spots, two little desks. And um, and so that's kind of how it started. Because I was in the mindset, I was like, I don't want to spend money on an office yet if we don't have a lot of people working on a corporate office. Because we had some employees, right? We had man- property managers and a couple maintenance techs and uh, stuff like that. And I was still doing my direct sales thing. And doing direct sales, I didn't need office space. And um, just trying to save every dollar I could to then invest, right? So it was, it was super lean. And so then we got to the point where we started to outgrow, you know, just that one corner office. Um, and you know, we were just paying, obviously, like a month-to-month thing there just for the one room. And um, so then we got to the place where we're at now. I think we've been here for it's our third year, maybe. Uh, I think it was a three-year lease, and I think it's actually up this fall. Um, and so... I was, you know, I was, I was slow to spend money on it, and now we're getting to the point though, like the place we're at now, we have what? We have one, two, three, four, five offices, the printer copier room, then the conference room, the little kitchenette area, right? And then we have the shop space in the back. And at first, when we moved in here about three years ago, two, two and a half, two years ago, we had two of those offices. I think were empty. Um, and we had a lot of extra space. We weren't using the back shop space too much. You know, we were using it here and there when we needed it. And we definitely needed the space, but we didn't need all of it. And now you look forward two and a half years later, we've got Prime Painters that's working out of here. We've got Spalding Group that's working out of here. And now we have those office spaces and, and the one office, we've got one, two, three, four offices that have one person in it. And then we've got one office that has three people in it. The three people, it's the sales rep, uh, marketer, and, and, and Maudine content guy. And uh, so it's not too often that all three people are in there. Um, but, you know, we're getting to the point where now if our chief operating officer is here um, because she's she's out usually 
on site at properties and out and around. Um, and then if we also have our regional manager here who she's also out on properties around, um, not always working out of this office, but when we get them here, it's like we don't have enough room and now they're working out of the conference room, which then on days when we have a lot of people in here, the place is like packed. Um, and then in the morning we have painters coming in and out and we got you know seven or eight painters right now. And the shop space is just absolutely just jam packed with our painting supplies and the trucks and the ladders and, and all that equipment. And so we're actively looking for the next type of space and people that I've, you know, a couple of people that are mentors of mine, they're, they're telling me that like, no matter what you do, get enough office space so you can grow into it. And number one, it's going to make you make a commitment. Right. And, and that's really, it's really true because once we got this office space, we were like, Oh, I was like, dang, like we got this office space. We're not, we're not, we're not feeling it. And it motivated me to grow even more. I was committed because I was going to be here for three years. Like let's build into it. Right. Um, let's grow so that we need more people. Right. And, and, and it's part of the infrastructure. Um, when you have the office, you're going to fill it. That's my mindset. When you have the office space, you're going to fill it. So right now we're trying to find that next office space. Um, and, you know, hopefully we buy, you know, an office space that has maybe like 2x of what we need right now because we're going to grow into it. You know, we've we got another couple, couple people that we're looking to hire that will work out of the corporate office here pretty soon in the next couple months. And then if Prime Painters keeps growing the way it is, if, you know, we, we you know, how I plan how I've kind of started to plan for what we need for square footage and what type of office space. I've actually got like a three year, five year kind of projection on where I want the businesses to be. And when I do those projections, I know my numbers enough, like to get to this many units, we'll have this much of a headcount to get to this much revenue in prime painters. We'll have this many, you know, painters, this many trucks, this much equipment. We'll have this many marketers and sales reps and project managers and et cetera, et cetera. We'll have this many book bookkeeping people, admin people. We'll have these many, you know, people that we'll have to host on site for trainings. If we want to do in-person trainings where we get all of our property managers in here, all of our maintenance techs, all of our leasing agents in here and our, you know, COO and regional managers, they do some trainings and stuff. We need, we're going to need space for all that stuff. We don't have the space to do any of that now. We're in the conference room right now. And when we have a meeting, we, we can't even, I can't even have a meeting in the conference room with, with, you know, all of our painters because there's just not enough room. Right. So and then even other divisions of the company, you just run out of room. And so we just we need more more space and it's part of the infrastructure. Um, I, I believe in I truly think and, and now we're starting you're starting to see more articles on the Wall Street Journal, you know, CEOs and, and everyone kind of changing their mind on this work from home thing. And they're wanting to get back in the office just because of the engagement. It's hard to motivate people and, you know, it's hard to know your people and have teams working together when they're never, ever, ever together. Uh, and technology is great and definitely Zoom and all those things will be used much more going forward than they ever were before and people will travel less, but people are not gonna wanna work from home forever, right? We got, got like parents just like ripping their hair out when they were having to stay home during COVID because their kids were being homeschooled and they were home and trying to work from home and then their hours were, you know, being stretched out even more because now their office is their home, which happened to me all the time too. I worked, I still work, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks, whatever, 100 hour weeks here and there. But it was like, I worked even more when uh, when my office was my apartment because it was just always there, right? It was one step away. It was hard to completely get away from. So it really drove me crazy. So I'm all for office, um, but that's how I plan. So just talking about location, um, it depends what type of business you are, right? I mean, but also like any kind of business, the more visibility you have is usually better as well, right? Um, so I'm looking for a place that, you know, it's visible, but yet for a painting company, that's kind of weird, I think, because 
with garage space and all that stuff, they're, they're usually more, um, I feel like, off the beaten path a little bit. But with our property management um, company and Prime Painters sharing a space, I'd rather have it be a little bit more visible so we can you know, brand the building and have signs and you know, all that stuff. Um, and so who knows what's going to happen with it. Uh, that's just a, a high level, uh, my, my mindset from a high level standpoint. Then as far as like going back into a little bit deeper on how to plan for staff, you got to make uh, some projections in your business and where you want to be, right? And as you grow, you might not know it yet. If you're just starting, you might not know like how many people you're going to need for X amount of, of whatever business, for, for this amount of revenue in your business, right? As you start to go down the path uh, and start to have some success in your first year, two years, and you, if you have really big growth plans, you're gonna start to get an idea of how many people that you need based on whatever those KPIs are, or those numbers are for your business, whether you're pumping out widgets or whatever it might be, you're gonna have an idea how much space you're gonna need, how much capacity you're gonna need um, to have available to you to grow into, right? And so um, we're, at a, we're at a standpoint right now where, well, actually, let's just, so I'll go a little bit more deeper in that. I know that our, our you know, for every one painter, they will produce ballpark, you know, 100 and I'm just doing all that at the top of my dome. So it'd be a ballpark. They'd be, they would produce ballpark. Um, I think it's ballpark $175,000 per painter is what they're going to produce. So if I, if I, um, if I know that I want to have $1.7 million of revenue, I'm going to need ballpark, you know, 10 to 14 painters, depending on their skill level and all that stuff. Now, someone that's less skilled, they're going to produce maybe 110,000. Someone that's really skilled can produce 170, right? So at least in Wisconsin, that's the numbers. You, you, depending where you're at, numbers might be different. So now I do the math, right? How many trucks am I going to need? How much equipment am I going to need per team, per crew, right? And then how do I want to store that equipment? Like, am I going to, if I want to have it all on site and if I want to get my vehicles out of the garage in the winter that you're going to know how many trucks you'll need based on how big you want to grow to. And if maybe that revenue number is $6 million, right? How many painters are you going to need? How many crews does that give you? Do you have two or three man crews? How are you usually working, right? Do you have four man crews? Do you just work in one man crews, right? That'll tell you how many crews you have. How many trucks do you need per crew? And not just trucks. It could be the vans. It could be, you know, whatever. Then how much equipment do you need per crew? How many 24 foot ladders, 30 foot ladders, 10 foot ladders, the little giants? How many sprayers do you need? How much inventory are you gonna have, right? And then all of that is gonna give you an idea. I'm throwing my microphone around here. All that is gonna give you an idea of how much space, like shop space you would need. I'm having real troubles with the microphone here. Uh, it'll tell you how much shop space you're gonna need, right? But then also, if you're gonna wanna have all hands on deck meeting with your painters, like how much meeting space you're gonna need? You're gonna just do the meeting space in the shops and get the trucks out, even when it's snowing and stuff, to keep the trucks out of the shop and whatever and have meetings in there? Hey, great, do it. Do you want a conference room? Hey, well, you better know how many people you're gonna have to fit in that conference room. Then on the property management side of things, I know that if we have 100 units, we're gonna have one manager there, we're gonna have uh, one maintenance tech there. If it's a 400 unit property, we're gonna have between property managers and leasing agents, there'll be four of those. And then uh, between maintenance, there'll be about four of those. And now you get to that size property, you also might have one or two grounds people that are working full time, right? So you might have uh, eight, nine, 10 employees there, eight to 10 employees at that property, right? Well, if you wanna grow to 4,000 units, and if you're gonna to wanna to bring all those people to corporate for training together, 
and to build culture. And even if it's not the entire company every time, maybe it's once or twice a year to the entire company, and then maybe you do it in sections. How much, how big of a conference room are you gonna need for that? How much of a learning, how big of a learning center? If you're trying to seat 100 people, you might not need it, I don't know. We, we wanna be able to do that type of stuff, so that's what we're kinda looking at. I know that if we have, you know, if, you know one, one regional manager will oversee 1,000 to 1,800 units. I don't have the exact number yet, but it's probably somewhere in that ballpark, right? So now, if we have, if we wanna go to 10,000 units while we're gonna be in the next lease or we buy this building, we're gonna know how many corporate staff between bookkeepers and you know our, our controller and admin people and HR people, we're gonna know how many people we're gonna have at the office and now it's just a square footage calculation. You can find like square footages online on usually how big offices are. How big cubicles are if you're gonna have some people working in cubicles it's gonna give you an idea what type of space that you're gonna look for and then when you commit to that office space part of it is the commitment man and I know some people are like oh you're gonna get burned because if it doesn't work out you're gonna be you're gonna have bought this building or you're gonna be in this lease it's like yeah but I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely be committed to, to where I'm going and we're gonna get there if I have if, if I'm committing to these things we're gonna make it happen Right. And I've always pushed myself to an uncomfortable position to be able to make things happen. So um, that's a little bit on the office space. Does some of that stuff make sense, Modine? Yeah. Um, and then it's the same thing. Like you're going to know how many how many laptops you're going to have to buy based on headcount. You're going to have to you're going to know how many desks, how many. So you'll have an idea of what you need, what you're going to need to get to grow into. Um, and the other thing is, is if you're short, OK, well, now you just have better plan on getting a second office not too far away or something. Right. I, I don't know. It, that, those are good problems to have if you're growing, uh, growing. But that's how I view. That's how I've started to view this now just over the last like eight, eh, eight to 14 months. I've started to look at, OK, the type of space that we're going to need based on the goals that we have around here um, and to do it right way to have the infrastructure. Right. It's all part of the infrastructure. People are the infrastructure. You know, your office space is the, is the infrastructure. Your technology is infrastructure, and and hopefully you invest in those things, and then they give you a return based on how efficient you can work. Um, you know, the type of teamwork and collaboration you have. Which when you have, you know, you have one horse pulling a wagon, they say something like it can pull a twenty thousand pound wagon or something like that. If you have two horses, they can pull a three hundred thousand pound wagon, right? It's exponential. And it's the same thing when you have collaboration with really talented people. You know, uh, like myself, I could do I could do a million dollars. But if it's you know Ava, CJ, and myself as executives, we can do twenty five million dollars, right? So it's an exponential type thing, and it's it's part of the infrastructure that you have to invest in that a lot of people don't want to invest in because they're like, oh, I'm going to do this all by myself, or I don't need an attorney. I can read it. Good luck. Good luck building a business that way. That's how I view it. Hope that helps. Adrian up there, what's he saying? When making offers on multifamily deals, Adrian said that he sent an LOI to a 24-unit owner off-market. He responded to me this morning. He said it's not as high as he wants price-wise. And then Adrian goes on to say he is motivated. How do you negotiate with an owner who doesn't give you what his goal price is? His goal is on what he's doing when selling? Question mark. Thanks, Justin. He could just be jerking around, Adrian, and like, you know, I mean... Um, I don't know. I if I were you, I would. If you offered like your best, is it your best offer? You know, I don't know. If it's not your best offer, put your best offer in. And if he doesn't take your best offer, well, then so be it. It's not meant to be. Go find the next deal, right? You're not gonna just because someone's motivated, whatever. You're not gonna ever make 
every single deal that you come across work in real estate, but then also in business. I tell Ryder this all the time, Maudim, when, when Ryder comes in, he's like, oh, but if we just adjust the price this much, I'm like, dude, it's just not meant to be. Like, we're not gonna lower our price to, to make it work for this customer. Like, our price is our price. I can't just go into Best Buy and say, oh, I'll, I'll give you this and start negotiating. Best Buy's price is Best Buy's price, right? Well, maybe Best Buy should be because I think they're struggling business-wise, aren't they? They struggle in business or is that, are they like, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I can't, I can't negotiate with Amazon. Like I can't really just like, you know, go to Amazon and I have this widget on there and I don't, I don't call Jeff Bezos and say, I want to lower my price, I want to lower my price. So I tell Ryder the same thing, not every deal is meant to be and we don't want every single deal. And Adrian, when you're talking about this and multifamily, you don't want every single deal. So it doesn't matter if he's motivated or not. If you Now, if you have not given your best offer and it's truly not your best offer, freaking throw out your best offer, dude. Like stop thinking that you have to buy it as low as possible, dirt cheap. Like if it's a good deal, if it's a, if everything... If you're excited about the deal, like, and, and you look at it from all different angles and it just excites you from a cap rate angle, from a price per unit angle, from an overall price unit, uh, from an overall price angle, from if there's rent disparity, if there's value to be added, or if it's already cash flowing a lot, like if it, if it, you know, if it meets all that criteria and gets you excited in all those different areas, Make sure you put your best offer out there. Don't just try to lowball the dude. You can start by lowballing, like maybe what you just did, but that might be your response, right? Um, now, again, if that was your best offer, now just walk away. On to the next one. But what you need to do is you need to stay. You need to stay in touch. And now Adrian just replied. He said it's not his best offer. Got you. Cool. Thanks. So Adrian, if you're still watching, how low? How much lower were you from your best offer? So what I'm trying to get is like a percentage. Like if your if your best offer was a million bucks and you offered 25% less at 750, like what? How how low below your best offer were you? Um, but the seller's goal price, Adrian, should not necessarily matter to you. Like yes, it helps and is helpful because it could just but. You know, he, he does, I don't give up a goal price. I mean, well, usually I do because usually when I do sell something, I list it and that's our price. I don't come off of it. So anytime I've sold something, I've listed something and the brokers come back, hey, you got an offer, but it's $25,000, $250,000 less than what you asked for. I said, nope, sorry, I'm not interested, right? My list price is my, my where I'm at. Um, but yeah, Adrian, I would, I would um, depending where you're at, I would... Like if you're well under your best offer, then maybe bridge the gap a little bit, start to come up a little bit. Uh, if you're already close to your best offer, just give him your best offer. Or, you know, another thing that could impress him and get him to talk to you is look, is just say, all right, you know, just to be completely transparent with you, you know, I know my last offer was $750,000. Honestly, my final best and final that I can do is $997,000, right? If that's your best and final. And just be honest with him. Put it out on the table and see if you can get the conversation moving forward. But you can't be so attached that you can't move on from the deal, right? You can't be bent out of shape. You can't be trying to make something work. Like you can't fit a, a square peg in a round hole, right? Unless the round hole is really, really, really big in a square peg. But you can't fit a big square peg in a round hole, a small round hole. And if you're trying to force it, Adrian, you're wasting your time. You need to go out and find another deal. Let's bring up the next question. Hope that helps, Adrian. All right, question is, what is a day in your life? Are you an early riser? Um, I think some people make more of a 
big deal out of this than they need to. They think that it has to be the same every single day. And I'm someone that I'm very much like, you know, if I'm exhausted, I have no problem sleeping in until, I mean, sleeping in for me is like 8.30 or 9. That's a, that's a really late sleep in for me. Um, I have no problem sleeping in if I have to. Like last night, I was up until 2 in the morning, just couldn't sleep, whatever. Just got ahead on emails, got ahead on some other stuff. I, I usually, usually I'm up between, you know, anywhere between 5.30 and 6.15. This morning I slept until 7:05, and I crushed it. I got, you know, I got up and I crushed it. I got ready in like 15 minutes and just left and got to the office. I got to the office a little bit later than I normally get to the office. I got to the office at eight, which is usually when everyone else gets to the office. But usually I'm at the office between 6:30 and 7:15, right? So for me, it's 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 based on how how you know I I don't like to say this because if you just go based on how you feel, you're never gonna ever accomplish things. But at certain times when you need a little bit more rest, then you just get a little bit more rest. Right. Like that's that's how I operate. I get not everyone can do that. And like the people that work for me, Maudine can't really just show up whenever he wants. But you shouldn't judge yourself if if usually you're an early riser and you want to, you know, be a grinder on a Saturday, you end up sleeping in because like on a Saturday, Maudine ends up sleeping in because we just like crushed him this whole week and put some so much work on his plate. And then he gets upset. Oh, man, I didn't wake up at six, six a.m. Like I should like all these successful people do or whatever. Like if you're exhausted, you need the rest. Your body needs rest. Like take a take a rest. Right. Uh, do I sleep? Do I do that every single day? And, you know, whatever. Or do I break? Do I break? Let's let's just put it this way. It's a range for me. I don't have set times, right? So let's say 5:30 to 7, 7:15 on a weekend or a day that I'm not working. There are times where I will sleep until 8 to 8:30, right? Then you talk about like a day in your life, uh, or talking about am I an early riser? And then the other question is, okay, do you go to bed early or late? And it's like, I mean, I anywhere from there's there are nights I'll go to bed at 8:30 or 9 o'clock, right? But then I would say usually the average is probably between 9:50 and 10:20. That's probably the average, but uh, the average is probably a little bit later than that. But then there's also nights like last night, I was up until 2 a.m., right? And I, that's just how it happens. So I wasn't, I was like, I laid down and at last night at like 11 or whatever, and I couldn't fall asleep. And so I just got up and I'm like, if I can't, I'm not just going to lay there. I'm just going to get up, do something until I get tired and then go to sleep. Um, you know, and as far as like a day in my life, there's a lot of people that, there's some people that are very, very structured with, with their calendar. There are some people like I'm not very structured with my calendar. I don't book myself out too far as far as like uh, I'll commit to meetings, obviously, that I want to commit to right away and I'll get them on the books. But I don't my thing is I don't schedule. I try to get it done now. I try to do things that are important. I try to not. I'm the type of person that when I start a business, I want to get to revenue. I want to get I care more about getting to a million dollars revenue right now than I do about making business cards first. I'm so backwards in that where we do things. I will do things counterintuitively to other people. They're like, wait, you don't even have a business card yet? I'm like, no, because I'm out here trying to get revenue. You're trying to get a business card. I'm trying to get revenue. And so um, what I'm saying is I focus on the most, the absolute most important things. I am not filling my calendar with just a bunch of junk and BS. That's not, that's not um, helping me or us, or the company, get to where we're trying to get to. So therefore, my calendar... I'm always busy. I've always got stuff going on. I'm always, but my calendar is relatively open. Like, especially like if I look at my calendar right now, it's booked like now this afternoon, it's booked the entire afternoon, right? Because things filled, filled up. But like Monday right now on the calendar on Monday, I've got one thing on my calendar that's like a set in time thing. Now I've got a lot to do on Monday, 
and I've got my list of to do's, but as far as a set time of when something has to be done, I've got something at 2.30. Tuesday, I've got two events already. Wednesday, I've got one event. And then Thursday and Friday next week, I've got no events. But then what happens is once again, when something pressing comes up or when someone says, hey, let's get something on the books. And if it's important enough to, for me, like I'm doing it like 15 minutes from now because I want to shrink that time. I don't want to expand that time. And then I do not want to fill my calendar with a bunch of BS that then ties me up so I can't take on the most important things to move forward, right? So that's kind of how I view that. I try not to, um, I don't know. I try not to think too much about that. Like there's so many people that they gotta be just like, and it's, I don't know. And, and it, I think it's more of just a, this is a day in my life type thing. And I don't know. Adrian says, going back to Adrian's question, current NOI and market cap rate of 5% value was showing 4.616, offered well below around 3 million. Appreciate the insight, going to look at it from a couple different angles and sending highest offer. Okay, cool. Current NOI and market cap rate of 5% value. 5%, Adrian, what, what location is this? Because 5%, Cap rate for a 24 unit seems crazy, but it depends where it is. I mean, we're at like a 5.5% cap rate, but it's a bigger, we're at close to 200 units. You know, 24 units, not as much scale. Usually you don't see as uh, compressed cap rates. But if you're in New York City, that's different. If you're in Philadelphia, that's different. If you're in a, a really, really sought after location, that's different. So it could be. Um, and then if you offered well, well below around three, and if that's the true cap rate, Salt Lake City, and Salt Lake City's hot right now, so you're probably, that's probably right then. But it probably is a 5% cap, and that puts the value at 4.6. And if you offered around three, now you're, um, yeah, but it, Adrian, it could be around four. Now he's also saying Salt Lake City, it could be around 4.75% according to some property management companies, and it could be. Salt Lake City is on fire, from what I've heard. Utah is on fire. Um, so if you're offering well below three, that means you're closer to like an 8% cap rate ballpark. And uh, I know that obviously won't do it. So, you know, and what we're having to do too, Adrian, is we're having right now, like the first handful of deals I did, you know, years, a couple years ago, we were putting 20% down. We're, we're coming to the table now with 25 to 26% down towards, you know, the loan. But then on top of that, another you know, another uh, three to 5% in excess cash to be able to close the deal, obviously, because you have a lot of other expenses and closing costs and whatever. Um, we can't be as skinny anymore just because yes, like pricing has gotten a little bit tighter and I, I'm not as comfortable with going. And it's, sometimes it's even hard to get the non-recourse debt at 80% LTV right now. So you might just have to put more cash down as well. All right, Maudine, I think next question. The question, this is, this is a question that comes up kind of regularly uh, in my direct messages. Um, question is, where do you go to analyze 100 deals to make 10 offers to buy one to two online? So obviously this person follows me quite a bit because I talk about this. When I'm looking at deals, they come across my desk and I just, I, if I'm not interested, I'm not interested, I just throw it away. I mean, I don't even hardly look at it. I just can tell by the area. I can tell by the, the asking price, the cap rate, the price per unit. I can look quick um, to see what rent disparities around. 
and I've got to know our market so well that I don't even necessarily have to look and I'm so in tune with it. I, I don't necessarily have to take too much time from a high level. I don't like it. Swipe it. I go away, move on to the next one. So obviously he's hearing me say this, that I look at 100 to make offers on 10 to buy one or two. Right. Um, and, and um, you know, we go online. So we go to like we go to CBRE, Marcus and Millichap. Um, we go to, you know, if you look up firms, we, there's like 15 different brokerages. A couple of them are more boutiques, but that's where we go. Um, and if you just Google real estate brokerages, you, you'll find it. Now, some of those bigger firms, they have a lot bigger deals that then they don't have as many small deals. The MLS is another place to go if you're looking for the, you know, the four units, the duplexes, the six units, eight units. I mean, I found a, the $33 million deal we closed in January was on the MLS. Um, and so... You can go to the MLS. A big thing, man, is marketing. Uh, and I, I shouldn't say man, because this could be a gal asking this question as well. Uh, but the big thing is networking and just getting your name out there. Once you, once you close on a deal with a broker, you are going to end up, um, obviously, that broker is gonna wanna bring you more deals, right? So once I close with one broker, he ended up, bringing me another one like five what was it yeah like five months later brought me another one we closed and it was off market as a pocket listing right that would have never happened if i didn't close the first one so going back to adrian's point about the pricing dude sometimes you just got to get in the game so that you become more known and then deals start to come to you so it might be a little bit higher hurdle for you and harder to find 100 deals or to get your first one or whatever but it's an investment a little bit too to get your foot in the game to get your door to get your foot in the door to get into the game so that other people start to know you right and then for us like the things that i do online so my Instagram, my Facebook, like this podcast, I don't just do this for fun. I have a lot of fun doing this. I have a lot of fun doing Instagram. If it were not for my businesses, I would be the person that would never be on Facebook or Instagram. I consume, of the time that I spend online, I consume maybe 1% of that time. I hardly consume anything. My sister's like, oh, didn't you see that post? I said, no, I, like, I, don't cons I hardly consume anything. Um, and so I use those as tools to get my name out there. So then hopefully, so like, with the post that I had from Florida last week about us signing the PSA there, I can't even tell you. I had I added another 10 to 12 people that have pocket listings to my Rolodex that have already shot me a, a, a handful of deals, right? And actually there's one that's very appealing to me right now. Um, the other ones kind of, I just looked high level, once again, tossed them away. But it's, it, you know, in a matter of a couple of days, I had 12 come across my desk, right? And so... It's, it's, it's not just online, it's every way possible, right? It's the same question when people ask me, um, you know, how, how are you guys getting jobs in Prime Painters? I'm like, I don't, by any means necessary, knocking on doors, cold calling, we pay for leads, we do Facebook and Instagram marketing, um, we have follow-up, we're getting follow-up processes in place to follow up with current customers that we've already used regularly. Hey, how'd you like the job? You know, do you have any other paying jobs coming up? Any referrals to stay in touch with people, right? So over there, any by any means necessary, we'll work with restoration companies, we'll work with property management companies, businesses, whatever, right? And it's the same thing here, it's by any means necessary. Um, but the bigger your Rolodex are, the more people that, the more attention that you have, the more attention that you can get, the more deals that are gonna flow to you that give you more opportunities, more at-bats. Um, because half of what I see is listed on the market 
And a lot of those deals I get to see before they go to market now because they'll they'll give me a heads up that it's coming out and I'll kind of have, have a jump on everybody else. Uh, the other half of the deals are like off market or pocket listings. Now, the only way those those off market and pocket listings get to me is by being known, right? I either closed the deal with that guy before, like I said before. They found me on LinkedIn and saw what I was posting, that we were growing and that we're active, right? People will want to bring you deals if you're active. They do not, they're getting paid. Most of the time, if people bring you deals, they're getting paid if you're going to transact. If there's no transaction, then you're going to jerk them around and waste their time and have not performed before. Odds of them bringing you a deal is very small. So taking massive action and, and progressing forward and, and actually making moves will also help you get to be able to analyze 100 deals make offers on 10 to buy one or two of those. It's gonna get you more quantity. You, get, you just cast it a much wider, much larger net. I think that's the last question already, isn't it? We had three questions was all today. Um, so that being said, let me see if Instagram had any questions quick. If, you know, just while I'm scrolling through Instagram looking here, um, if you guys are accredited investors that are watching, um, actually, well, I'll, I do have some questions on, on, on uh, Instagram Live um, that we'll get to in a second. But if you are accredited investor, if you know any accredited investors, we do have another deal that we're going to be closing mid-June. Um, reach out to me. We can get you into our data room so you can take a look at at the private placement memorandum and you know all that stuff um, to see if it's something that you'd be interested in. We're really close on this thing. Will probably be fully accounted for as far as the, as far as the equity um, in a few days. Um, you know we're we're already around. I think we only need like a million more. I think we're sitting at like a million more. We've already we're already about six point five to seven. We're raising like eight to eight point two five. So. Um, and I just shot the emails out last last week. So I'm cruising there. But if you guys are accredited, let us know. Uh, it's an awesome deal. 2007 to 2010 build. Um, it's one of the newest properties that we've uh, bought or been a part of. And um, you know, it's about just shy of 200 units. Uh, we are getting unreal pricing on this deal, I think. Uh, we're paying ballpark $150,000 per unit. Comps down the road have sold for $225,000 a unit. Um, it's off market, and so it's a it's a deal that we're super excited about. We're plowing through uh, due diligence right now. Um, we have term sheets coming from lenders next week, uh, and everything's looking really, really good on it as, as we started to do the due diligence. We've got the uh, on-site inspections and stuff coming up over the next 10 days or so, and um, let me know if you're interested because I can add you to our list. If you're not already on the list, you'll get an email. You can sign up. You're going to get access to our data room and then um, you can also get from, from that point forward whenever we do get deals put together you'll you'll always be on that list where hey we have another uh like i have a email blast that'll go up to like 400 people or so and um forever forward you'll be aware of our deals um going so someone asked here um who handles your property tax estimates for new acquisitions um or, and then continued question is, or currently handles assessment appeals. So currently for um, the property tax estimates for new acquisitions, we work with JLL. Um, we have been working with JLL on these large purchases and they've been a great mortgage broker essentially, but they, they provide, they really go above and beyond. They've been great to work with and they, they do a lot of research on, you know, 
other transactions and, and the results um, of the property tax after those transactions have occurred one, two, three years later. So I have, what, what I do is I take, I always take, um, I always will look up like the property that I'm buying. I'll look up online their, their um, real estate tax information. And on there I can see how they're how the assessors are assessing those properties i can see like you know what percentage of um uh the assessment will be of market because usually that percentage is on there and it'll say 85 percent or 90 percent or 95 percent or 100 percent of market value is the assessment value and then once you have the assessment value you take the mill rate to it and so and you can find the mill rate on the tax bill as well or figure it out you can figure it out and so then once i figure that out year one i usually keep the taxes the same year two it's pretty standard for me to then take the purchase price multiplied by the assessment ratio and then multiplied by the mill rate i'm i've been pretty close i'm pretty right on uh on our last couple of transactions um and um and then you know i have jll they, they kind of confirm it um just based on other comps and all that stuff i don't spend a ton of money on it because if i i mean it's to me it's like you never are gonna get the exact number you're never gonna exactly know what's gonna happen with the real estate tax but but the best that you can really do is look at the comps and what's going on in the area and and anyone can really find that so for me i haven't really found it useful to, for me to pay an advisor a ton of money um to be able to do that stuff and then uh, currently, our assessment appeals. We have an attorney out of uh, Chicago currently that's taking care of that stuff, um, and we kind of have an agreement that if it's lowered by X amount, he'll get an X percent of that savings throughout the year. So, if our real estate taxes, for example, were two hundred thousand dollars a year when we bought the place, they explode up way higher than we thought to five hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, well, that 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 attorney will fight that for us, and then if he gets it down to three hundred thousand, he gets a piece. Of the savings between the the 500 and the 330, which is 170 thousand dollars. So it's good for us. It's good for him. Um, we don't have to pay him if he loses, and for him to look into it, we don't pay him anything. So it's all basically on performance. Um, let's see. No other questions on Instagram. Think. Um, and if, if it interests you too, and people are still watching this, whether it's live on the recording or listening to this, um, you know, if it's, if it's of interest to you too, just going back to, I was talking a little bit about how we grew our team and grew staff earlier. I can go a little bit more into, I know I have another podcast going on, like how we select people, but I can go more into how I'm planning for the future. Cause I kind of have some documents and stuff that I use and I kind of draw it out. Um, and I can kind of show how our uh, company has kind of changed over the last couple of years and then I can share like where we're at now and then I can share how I project forward to, to help answer that office question to help answer you know how do I know who I have to have for a team etc cetera, etc cetera. the other big thing with the team is like don't try to do everything by yourself like get yourself out of the positions that you're not best at that's why I hired you know that's why that's why Ava's here because she's way better at the in-depth I have a great understanding of how it works from a high level right and um, but then some of those details, like I don't know, and Ava takes care of them. Same thing, hired CJ because I got to a point where like I'm good at uh, finding the deals, I'm good at finding the opportunity, I'm good at uh, securing debt, I'm good at finding investors, um, I'm good at getting in touch with owners and networking, use my network to find the opportunities. As we start to bite off more deals, I'm not the best person to manage and oversee the management team directly. Um, again, I know how to do all that stuff. I know the steps. It's not my strength, so we, we we hire someone, right? 
I'm not like my my time and and just with what I'm doing, my time's not best made for spending all my time creating content. So we hire content creators, right? Ryder was doing it, and now Ryder's kind of promo uh, got promoted or you know, whatever you want to call it, has switched directions as a sales rep. Now we got Maudine here, right? Um, I'm not doing the sales rep for Prime Painters because I can go out and do these big deals. I hired a sales rep for Prime Painters because that's not the best use of my time, and sales is, is a strength, but um, I'm not doing bookkeeping work like because there's there's even parts of my personal life I don't do bookkeeping work, whereas I'm starting to offload it now because it's like me doing that, me taking my time to do that is not the best and wisest use of my time. So when you're building a team, you really gotta figure out, especially early on, you really gotta figure out like what can you take off your plate that, you know, if you can go out and put together, I, I tried to tell Ryder this, he bought, you know, the seven units and he was like, should I just go and mow the lawn and shovel by myself? And I said, that's what I did for, my, for the first couple months when I bought mine. But if you're in here selling jobs and you can make $100,000 if you crush it, $120,000 if you're really crushing it in Prime Painters, why, which results to, you know, how many, how many dollars an hour, 50, 55, $60 an hour, whatever it is, why would you go do something that you can pay someone else $10 an hour to do or pay a company to do $100 per push or whatever? Because now you, it saves you time from driving down there and driving back and doing something that you shouldn't necessarily be doing based on the opportunity cost, right? And so that's different for everybody though. Also, like shoveling snow is probably not his strength. Like he's good at sales. Like this shoveling snow, like why why do something that's not necessarily your strength? And so sometimes for business owners it's hard, but they they just have to learn to give things up and let go and um, focus on what, you know, focus the majority of time on what they're really good at and drive that and then get really good people in place who you enjoy being around, who fit your values. Um, who want to grow with you and whatever get those people in place so that they can help you and do what they're good at right that's that's the point of hiring people um so that you can scale and and build something a little bit more significant and meaningful um and so that you can focus on doing what really is growing your business um so all right that being said what do we got 42 minutes in okay so that's gonna be good for today so if you guys join us next week please leave us questions um this week partly was my fault because I think I I don't know I, I'm gonna have to go back to my phone because I think I do have more questions from the one of the previous podcasts I didn't have time to go through my phone today and I took so many pictures in Hawaii and I, my phone's a cluster, um, but do us a favor send us some questions whether it's through uh, Instagram direct messaging um, replying to my stories when I ask for questions sending us a, and leaving us a message on YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever ask a, ask us questions hope we have five to seven questions for next week. Uh, that we can get to and uh, have a lot of fun doing this show. If you haven't done yet, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, please refer us to someone that would get a lot of value out of this. If they wouldn't get value out of it and it would be a waste of their time, forget about it, don't do it. But if you know that these people would get value out of it, please share, that would be awesome. Um, if, you've, if you have not picked up my book yet, go to justinspalding.com. Pick up the book. We've been getting a lot of great reviews on that thing. People have loved it. Um, I've not gotten one like person pissed off that they bought the book and they shouldn't have. So um, if you guys could share, if you guys should share, Eddie, what's up, man? Um, so please share. But that being said, have a great weekend. I'm moving this weekend. We got two more, two more nights of sleep in the uh, current place we're at, and we're moving all of our stuff on Sunday. Um, we actually closed the other day, and we're still technically renting, but we closed yesterday. Um, and um, yes, yeah, so we'll be in there on Sunday. 
Um, so that's exciting. Probably gonna be some stress. We got a moving moving company coming. Everything's all packed up. My wife did a, like 98, 99.9% of the packing and all that stuff and taking care of that. I did hardly anything. Uh, but we have a moving company coming on Sunday and I'm sure it's gonna be a little bit stressful and whatever. Uh, not stressful, but irritating just in the moment. I hate doing that stuff. I hate, I hate moving. I hate packing. I hate, I hate packing. It's like when I go on trips, Muddy, and I hate packing. Same thing like when I'm moving, I hate packing, I hate doing laundry, and I hate doing, uh, I hate cooking. Those are the, those are the three things that I hate. I, I moved <laughs> How many boxes did you bring with you though? Did you? Because we get to care. Mm. Pretty much left everything? Yeah, so Medine, I didn't realize until, uh, so when Michelle sent out the thing on our new hires for the week or whatever, when you started, was that this week? Yeah. It's been a long week. It feels like I it's know. been, I mean, you've been around here a little bit, but, um, so this week I posted Maudine in um, on my story because we send out, whenever we have a new group of hires or a new hire, um, one of our administrators, she'll put together like a little thing on them. And Maudine speaks three languages, Albanian, right? Yeah. Albanian, Italian, and English. And you just learned English three years ago, right? Because he and, and in there he he had to um he when he first came to America knew zero English, so he was using like Google Voice or something, right? Or Translate. Google Translate or something, Google Translator on his phone. So um yeah, immigrated to to the United States. So um and you just left everything, huh? You guys sell it? You guys sell anything, or you just pretty much got no, on the we plane? Were right renting so then just like whatever like your your beds or blankets or whatever clothes you just pretty much had one bag and came here and then yeah. okay got you got you and your brother's still there right because you got the wedding who's got the wedding my brother but we got you okay got you got you so uh so yeah that was a fun fact about money and i was like oh damn that's cool can you speak some what what's like how do you say uh hey man how's it going in albanian <laughs> what about uh hey arriva derche see you later man i know that one i was walking around i went to italy like 10 years ago and i was walking around arriva derche <laughs> see you later because i just where? uh where? we went to we were in verona we were in a solo we were in venice we were in rome that's another big one over there we landed in Milan, but we didn't spend any time there. Yep, I was there. Is Venice, like, still... Can you even not go there anymore? Well, like, two years ago, wasn't it, like, flooded out in Venice? It's all good now. Yeah, it's a pretty cool place. Um, Royalade said he's just uh, just starting to take action now, and leads are coming in. He's so excited. Boy, you got to keep crushing it. All right, so that being said, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys. Thank you so much, so much for listening, watching, whatever. For the uh, We're signing off. Justin Spaulding, Epis Justin Spaulding Show, Episode 16, signing off. We'll see you next week for